Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Can you believe it, Pinot? Like an animal? Yeah. I never had a pet, Diane, but my grandfather had a dog that I loved very much. Oh. What did you call him? Grandpa. (laughs) I meant the dog. Older dog, Bruno. What happened to him? He fell down in the bathtub and died. (laughs) I meant the dog. So did I. My grandfather, poor old guy, got run over by a bus. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me once again, making his first appearance on the show since the pilot episode from Radio vs. the Martians, please welcome Mr. Mike Gillis. What's up, Mike? Not much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you back. I, I missed you so much over the past couple of months. Um, the audience, if they assuming they've listened to the first episode, they heard your Cheers origin story back then. Uh, anything going on new with you since then? Oh well, we're we're continuing to plug away on Radio versus the Martians. Uh, we just did the Total Recall episode of Podcast mm. La Vista, baby. So <laughs> we're hitting that midway point. We've done half of the Schwarzenegger movies, and it's kind of just cruising down the hill from there. So making making headway. I, I love that episode. I, Total Recall is it's a classic. It's, e- it's either my first or second favorite uh, Schwarzenegger movie, and I had so many thoughts about that. So I just I loved hearing your discussion on that. That was that was a very fun episode. Uh, just getting to revisit that in my mind even was really cool. No, yeah, absolutely. I I hadn't seen it in at least a dozen years, and mm-hmm. it was a pleasant surprise <laughs> how much I loved it. Holds up incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, well, getting back into Cheers, uh, this episode we are talking about Season 1, Episode 14, Let Me Count the Ways. Uh, this episode was written by Heidi Perlman, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, January thirteenth, 1983. Marshall Lipton, a nerdy cybernetics professor from MIT, stops by Cheers and mentions to Sam and Coach that he developed a computer that can predict sports outcomes – and specifically predicts that the Boston Celtics will lose tonight's game. Rather inexplicably, Carla hits on Marshall several times while he's there. After Marshall leaves, Sam and Coach do the unthinkable. They place a bet against the Celtics, knowing that if any of the regulars found out, they'd be crucified. Later that day, while the gang is watching the game, Diane gets a call from her mom that her family cat, named after the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, has died. Diane seeks comfort and consolation, but finds little from the guys who are more concerned with the game, or Carla, who just doesn't care. When her sadness begins to affect her work, Sam takes Diane into the office to talk. She tells him her personal story of how much the cat meant to her. Sam takes her in his arms to comfort her, and almost kisses her before she stops him. This leads to a heated argument, culminating with Diane storming out, vowing to never come back. Just as she's leaving, Sam says he's sorry about her cat, and she starts to cry again. Then she starts to seek comfort with him again before the two of them stop, recognizing the danger of their own emotional states. And that is Let Me Count the Ways. Uh, Before I uh, ask you what you thought about this episode, a really quick note. The title of this episode is taken from the poem, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways. The poem is written by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the namesake for Diane's cat. Uh, so, Mike, what did you think about this episode? Oh, this this one is really heavy. Um, 
it affected me a lot more strongly than I think I expected it to. I've always been a cat owner. I don't know if you are you a pet owner at all, Ryan? I do. I've never had cats because I'm allergic to cats, but I I have dogs, and I'll, I'll actually get into how it, it fed me. But I I will say that I knew you were a cat owner, and that was why I thought of you for this episode. Yeah. Oh man, I've I've had cats since I was a kid, and I've had cats that have died while I own them. And that the thing that I, I kind of hit me really quite, quite squarely in the face while, while watching this is I wonder if there's just been a significant societal change for the perception of what a cat means to you and the sympathy that you would expect from friends and family when you lose a pet. Because it feels a little bit like the expected 1983 uh, reaction is sort of like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's losing a pet is the same as losing like a human family member, but it's closer to that than it is far away from that. Mm -hmm. And really, this is an episode where Shelley Long just knocks it out of the park that there is this. The primary plot of this episode is really about her trying to find some kind of comfort, trying to find some way to deal with her sadness and the people around her, the gang at Cheers really just don't seem to care or at the very least they're pulled away by their excitement about the Celtics game and you have this contrast of her kind of dying inside while everyone is literally cheering 10 feet away Mm -hmm. and it just kind of heightens that to the point that Diane finally just kind of has this big blowout speech and I'm going to say here, I am on Diane's side completely in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even a little bit. It's not like, oh, well, there's some middle ground that these characters have to come to and everyone's being a little bit silly, which Cheers will frequently do, that Sam's being a little bit boneheaded and Diane's being a little bit kind of stuck up or pretentious. And they both kind of have to get off their high horse. No, this is one where the gang at Cheers gets as close to being as unlikable as I've ever seen them. And I, and I think like the worst part, the hardest part to reconcile is because it is completely unintentional, but even Coach lets her down. Yeah. Uh, and that's a heartbreaking moment because yeah. like the one person you expect because she's, she reaches out to him and he's like, I know. And he tells his own – and I'll, we'll, we'll come back to the details of his story because it's kind of hilarious in its own right. But he tells a story about his grandfather's dog dying and like what that meant to him. And he's like, you know, it, it feels really good to talk about this type of thing. And you can see she's about to open up and tell him her story and he walks away He's because yeah. he's distracted. Or and again, not intentionally oh. snubbing her or ignoring her feelings, but that is what he does. And yeah, it's, it's just like, it's a yeah. punch in the face over and over again. Um, because of all the people, you, you see the, the part where she's on the phone with her mother, and the gang at Cheers immediately reads her tone. I mean, there's this looks of sympathy. I mean, there's a completely played straight seriousness to everybody immediately. And mm-hmm. the one that was really jarring to me was the look on Carla's face because yeah. you never see Carla that concerned about anybody. That Carla always has that kind of thick skin cynicism as sort of a defense against the world i'll punch the world first Mm -hmm. but you see her and even this is diane who's on the phone that she immediately drops that and there's this look of just oh god what happened right and you see it on norm's face but carla was the one that it really was like wow because it's it's sort of like you see her drop the act and he has this moment of just genuine concern and sympathy and the minute she says it was the cat like Norm, who also I think of as a good-hearted guy, outright scoffs yeah. and goes like, oh, geez, why didn't you open with that, Diane? You could have told <laughs> us at the beginning. You made It's basically you made me feel bad for you for nothing. <laughs> right, right. And they all just turn back to the game. And then it's a mo- I think the moment that was probably the hardest for me to deal with because it's because you like these characters and it's because you kind of feel like you're part of the gang while watching the show that they have an ability to hurt you Mm -hmm. and when diane is just kind of standing there in her pain and norm asks her another beer and she doesn't hear him at first because she's too busy mourning and he like bangs on the bar (laughs) he's like you working today or what in that moment, he doesn't treat her like a friend. He treats her like, you know, you are the, the wait staff. Right. And that one really hurt, seeing that moment, too. And when you finally get to this moment where, where Diane gets up, turns the TV off in the middle of the game, and gives this speech, that's a kind of bravery I don't think I would have in her, pers- in her situation. I mean, I really don't think I... I think I would just leave. Mm-hmm. But she gets up and she says, basically... 
since I've been here, I have made so many accommodations to be able to fit in here. And all I expect is that you would make the same accommodations for me, that there are things that I wouldn't have been able to deal with before, but I've adjusted to your world. And she feels left out by that. And what I love in this performance is that she has kind of her usual tone while giving this speech that, you know, the sort of teacher's pet tone that Mm -hmm. she's talking to the rest of the unruly students. But it's an act. It's mm-hmm. just the top layer that she's, it's the thing she's trying to put out, but under it, you hear her voice kind of breaking. Yeah. And it's her trying to maintain her usual persona and it's, it's falling apart and you can hear her practically crying underneath it, that she's not going to cry in this moment. She's trying to maintain. And then she uses the word milieu <laughs> and Sam goes for the usual banter that he has in the exact tone that he would use and it's this moment where he's just totally miscalculated and is not reading this situation at all and she just steps on his line and keeps going and it's that moment you realize how serious this is it is it's an amazing moment um because of her, her delivery and how sincere she is but also because buried in that monologue is, I think, the funniest line in the episode, and we'll come back yes. to that with uh, with the home run uh, later yes. on because it's, it's an amazing point. But yeah, it, the degree that she delivers it with like the the indignation, the anger at them for letting her down and letting us down with it, and just barely able to contain herself. Yeah, it's it's all there. It's true. Yeah, and it's a moment where she's not just you know, the butt of good-natured teasing, and she's not giving it back. It's not... This is a moment where she's genuinely hurt. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting it. They're really not getting it. And even then, uh, when Norm comes over, you know, I got this, Sam, I got this, Sam, and he walks over, the minute the commercials end. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) he's, he's he's like, he's running away from her while trying to deliver his last bit of advice from his dad it's so insincere it's so and he's just he's yeah. yelling it out at like this rapid pace to try to like yeah 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 bye and then just goes right back to the game and you're just like yeah yeah you mentioned how like perceptions and uh, like a read of like people with pets and though how they are viewed closer to being part of a family now uh, in some cases, that is that is, that bond is very strong, and it is taken like a part of the family. Uh, that that certainly has changed, and it's I mean it's changed for me. I mentioned I I never grew up with a dog or a cat because my mom didn't like dogs, and my dad and I are both allergic to cats. Um, I did try to have like gerbils and guinea pigs when I was a kid as like something, but I found out I think I was allergic to those too, and like their hair, so I didn't have them for very long. Those pets didn't last, and even those there was different, so I didn't. Just not having those pets like a dog or a cat, which is more socially interactive and and smarter. I didn't have them in part of my life, so I didn't have the same feeling. So when I watched this as a kid, I probably would have been closer to... Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been as cold as Carlo, who outright says, look at the bright side, at least it ain't me uh, yeah. when, it, when a pet dies. But, I mean, I, I might have been closer to, like, Sam or, or Coach's thinking and just, like, you know, it, it, it is an animal. They die, and I'd be kind of, like, cold and dispassionate about that. As an adult, and now having had a dogs for eight years, until I had an actual human child, I thought of my dogs as my children, um, and I, I loved them that strongly. And if something happened to them, it would break part of me inside, and I still think that would be the case. So I definitely now view this episode from Diane's perspective, um, and, yeah. and I see where she's coming from and how it means. And yeah, you're right. Like The hardest part to watch is not her dealing with her grief. It's how alone she feels that nobody else understands. And a sense of betrayal by yeah, people that course, you, yeah. you genuinely like. These are such likable characters that you are really hit with how much you rely on them to be good people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it feels like they've totally dropped the ball on that. That someone, that one of their friends, one of their, their community of people that are based around this bar is really hurting and they're all being incredibly selfish. Yeah. yeah. And it's so easy to put myself in the perspective of Diane in this episode. I have lost pets before. And it's really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it breaks you for a couple days. I mean, this is like call out of work. I can't deal with this and function 
without emotions pouring out of me and me making other people like really uncomfortable <laughs> for that day. I'm just I'm not going to be able to function in any kind of professional capacity. Right. And and again, it's it's something that Diane says later when she's talking to Sam when they're in the office together. And this is the really heartbreaking part too is it I know what it is to be kind of a weird kid who doesn't have a lot of friends. And that's the thing with pets is that they do love you and you can show them emotion and love in a way that feels like judgment isn't coming back. Right. And it doesn't feel like you can be rejected by them. And you can be more vulnerable emotionally around your pets than you can be with other people frequently in your life. And other people don't seem to understand that. They think of it as, oh, this is an amusement. Or in Sam's case, it's a great way to meet women. <laughs> and I'm sure Sam loved his dog, but there just isn't that sort of attachment other than I really like my car. Yeah. I mean, the fact is Sam does not have a dog now. So that dog died or he gave it away at some point. And it doesn't seem to be eating him up. And the most heartbreaking point, too, is is Diane saying that her life was so lonely after her parents' divorce that she thought briefly about throwing herself in the lake. And the thing that stopped her from doing that was worrying about who would take care of Elizabeth. And the sense of that cat saved her life. And what does she say? Something like, I can't help thinking about when her time came that she must have been wondering where I was. And that just, that friggin' killed me right Mm -hmm. there. Because it's hurts but i have always made it a thing where i have to be there i can't be one of those pet owners who just drops an old pet off and then drives away i have to be there because i they don't understand what's happening i can't tell them right they can't communicate their needs in that moment to me so all i can do is be there when they die Hmm. that's all you can do is that at least they're not surrounded by strangers. And that one just murdered me. Mm-hmm. It just murdered me. And it even had an effect on Sam. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the point where actually Sam starts to break too, and he does realize, that, that's when he gets it, because he sees like this, this personal experience when, he, when, he, when Diana reveals how low she got and, and what the cat meant to her, then, then he's, like, he almost has to hide from her too. He can't look at her. Um, I kind of want to. I kind of want to circle back to the end, the climax, because there's a lot more there. Um, so I'd like to kind of like re- refresh and go back to the beginning of the episode and sort of like hit some of the the parts more in chronological order. Um, sure. First, getting back into that, and I mentioned um, this is the first episode of Cheers written by Heidi Perlman, who is the younger sister of Rhea Perlman, who plays Carla. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, Heidi wrote a bunch of episodes in the early seasons. She was actually a producer on the show for a couple of years. And notably, she wrote this episode and the next episode, episode 15, that comes after this. And there's this kind of a a weird two-parter aspect of these two episodes that deal with this guest character, Marshall Lipton. He comes in, He and basically it seems at first like he comes in to introduce what you think is going to be the A plot, which is he gives Sam and, and Coach this reason why his computer says the Celtics are going to lose, and these guys decide that they're going to go behind everybody's back and place a bet against the Celtics. And it seems like that's up front. But while Marshall is there, and he is sort of your stereotypical 80s computer nerd, um, in, in as much as he says he specializes in cybernetics, and Sam doesn't know what cybernetics means in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, but, he, you know, the glasses, the high nasally voice, like the, the taped glasses and everything, like he's been bullied even in his adulthood. But, and I mentioned this, inexplicably, Carla is flirting with him and yeah. seems to be doing so unironically. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I took from it too. Yeah, that won't um, be paid off until the next episode. Like that, yeah. that, it's completely you don't understand why she's doing it until you get to the next episode, which you'll hear hear me and Tom Panaris talking about in a couple weeks. That was something I thought was really interesting. Is that the gang at Cheers does not bully this character who usually in the 1980s in fiction would exist to be bullied, mm-hmm. oftentimes by a jock like Sam. But there really is that sense that this is a place where people are accepted. 
that best they playfully tease him and they don't just treat him like this is a guy who gives me good gambling tips either they seem to genuinely right, like right, him. right and they want to introduce him to diane and they just kind of bring him in he's just a, another patron who has a unique sort of look on life versus the rest of them and carla's flirtation with him seems genuine and at first i thought she was just kind of having a bit of fun with him but then I realized this is somebody who married Nick Nortelli. <laughs> and looking at the entire scope of the series, I think Carla's just into weird dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she where when she says, you know, I I you know, I like you, you got the wet look, you know, <laughs> you know, hair, palms. Yeah. Uh it seems sincere. Like she's really teasing him. Like she was I think she thinks he's cute. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. And it it just makes sense for Carla. She's just kind of into those guys. The the only traditionally sort of handsome leading man guy that she's into is Sam. Right, right. Which is, that, a, a, yeah, a completely one-sided thing. And, and really, she knows that would never happen. Yeah. Um, and that's as much a fangirl crush as anything else. Oh, yeah. It's it's basically that's a little bit of schoolgirl crush on top of the regular this guy's amazing crush that, like, Cliff and Norm have on him. Right. Because he just seems so incredible. That's what I kind of love about it is that there's this sort of acceptance of Marshall. Um, everyone just kind of like goes, hey, Marshall, how's it going? We haven't seen you in a bit. But yeah, Carla seems genuinely into this dude. And I think on some level, Carla wants to see if he'll ask her out. Yeah. It just seems like something she would go for. And it's weird. It took me like the second or third time where at first I thought she was teasing, but it never felt bullying. Mm -hmm. It felt like good-natured teasing. But in the end, when she says the wet palm thing, I'm like, oh, she's into that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, she's she would go for it. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of awesome. <laughs> um, Marshall, by the way, is played by Mark uh, he does appear in this episode and the next one of uh, Cheers. On IMDb, he only has five other credits, so I don't know. It didn't didn't really do much else, but um, I think he's he's very good in this very specific type of role. Um, oh yeah. Back even further now because we're talking about the Eklund, but the teaser for this episode is a great little one of those like completely divorced from any other aspect of the show, but it's this great little thing. It starts with Diane coming back to the bar after she was at an Indian <laughs> film festival and talking about uh -oh. how, how it affected her and how happy she and Coach mistakenly thinks that she's talking about Native Americans instead of like Indians and he mentions the movie Fort Apache and how it like gives him like goosebumps or it makes the hair stand up on his arm. Uh, or and then this leads into this bizarre circular conversation uh, from between Sam and Carla, how everybody could do these weird physical tricks and, and all these crazy little little quirks and everything, and it leads back to Sam talking about this guy he knew who could do something with his eyeballs or something, and they're like, "What team did he play for?" And he was like, uh, "I think it was the Cleveland Indians." And oh, Coach yeah. comes back like, "Hey, speaking of Indians, do you remember the movie Fort Apache?" And at, oh, <laughs> at that circle. point, you just see Diane just like going crazier and crazier as these guys keep talking around her until he mentions Fort Apache and she screams and walks off and they all check their arms and like the hairs have stood up. They've got these goosebumps. So. It's like a weird game of telephone yeah. where none of them are listening to the point the other person's making, but they all pick a specific thing up right. from something they said and launch into a completely different scenario. And it's like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember this part. You know, it's like the arm hair becomes the thing. Oh, I remember this physical trick. And none of them are listening to Diane. Right. right. <laughs> and to the point uh, where it, to the point where uh, they come back again to the original mistake that that coach made in not yeah. understanding the Indian part of the film festival. It sort of reminds me. I don't know if you ever watched uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a sketch on there where a uh, guy comes back and wants to tell the, the amazing story of how he climbed Mount Everest. In the middle of his story, he gesticulates his arms and falls back through a spice rack and it falls down. And suddenly all everyone wants to talk about is the time he fell through the spice rack. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. Where it's like, I actually have an interesting story, but everyone is just caught up in this nonsense. <laughs> And I think in the Mr. Show sketch, eventually they make a movie based on him falling through the spice rack. <laughs> Instead of the original story that he thought. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of that, where it's just this frustrating thing of, but I actually have something to say! <laughs> and, yeah, I just... Yeah. It kind of is a weird because in a in a funny way, this is a more of a humorous, low-stakes version of the frustration that Diane has in this episode. Yeah, actually, yeah. 
This is her going through the fact that nobody is listening to her and everyone is kind of caught up talking about things that have nothing to do with life and death, nothing to do with anything really illuminating. And they're just kind of caught up in their own things and they won't listen to somebody who has something to say. And you can see how that would cumulatively build on her frustration, her decision to deliver the monologue that she does deliver later on when she challenges them and she calls them out how they don't understand her and they don't listen to her and they don't appreciate the changes she's made in her life to try and be more like them or more empathetic to them. They haven't reciprocated. Exactly. And it's that, it's that sort of sense of I've tried it and I thought you were doing the same. Right. But it feels like you're not my friends. Right. Because my friends would have done that. It's like she mentions that she can even look at a hockey fight without <laughs> uh, without turning away now. Yeah. And she even took sides once. Yes. yes. And it's like the, these are the, the sacrifices and the changes she's made to herself. Mm. And I just – I kind of love that line uh, yeah. because it finds a way to inject a joke into a really serious monologue without derailing it, mm-hmm. without taking away its power. And I think – this is really the gift of, of Shelley Long here because she is she owns this episode and manages to keep that serious thread going mm-hmm. despite the fact that there are gags that pop up throughout because obviously it's a comedy show and you can't just take on all the comedy out of a comedy show. Right. But they don't really flinch away from Diane's pain in this episode mm-hmm. and they don't try to make light of Diane's pain in this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I just – I'm utterly fascinated by it because it's such a heart-wrenching sitcom episode (laughs) according to the write-up for this episode on tv.com and i'm not sure exactly what their source is but they say that this is shelly long's favorite episode Um, i can see why yeah i mean in terms of her in terms of her performance and her delivery and her story it absolutely it makes sense but i mean she if for all we know the actress may have brought some of her own personal history and her personal pain to this. That wouldn't surprise me. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing it does, which is something that I don't think a lot of shows would be willing to do, which is it reframes the central conceit of her character, the idea that she is an outsider that on face, on the face of it does not belong in this setting and makes it from something that's humorous into something that's tragic. Yeah. And the fact that they really go there because they could have made this episode much more from the perspective of Sam. But as we go through the various people in the cast and she goes to them sort of one by one, she goes to coach coach tries way harder than anyone else. Coach seems to read that she's hurting, but he totally botches it every time. Right. Carla, who she tries to reach out to, doesn't seem to get it because as she says, you know, hey, she's got four kids. She sees hamsters and goldfish and all sorts of things. They all die. I flush them all. And it just doesn't seem to sort of get through. She doesn't see the difference between a cat and one of those animals. And you know what? I'm not going to say that you can't love those sorts of animals, but when they have the short lifespan that they do, I can't say that they would as be a bigger part of your life as you know a cat would and cats obviously live to like 10 to 20 years and the fact that this is a cat that diane had as a teenager that that just died now that's that's the lifespan of a cat yeah i mean that definitely suggests that the cat was at least 10 years old because like diane is probably in her early to mid-20s at this point if she was a grad student and that that kills you yeah uh when you do lose uh pets like that um i mean i lost a dog in my early to mid 20s who i got as a 13th birthday present mm, yeah. and that murdered me and that's the hard part is it and this is the part maybe diane was spared which is that you do see these animals get older mm-hmm. you do see them have the same spirit they had when they were a puppy or kitten but you see the the point at which their body can't really back it up and you see the slow moments where your dog can't go up the stairs anymore and it just kills you but you don't want to lose them because it does become a really hard decision to say goodbye to them and diana sort of spared all that so to her this is just bam it's over she said she would just see the cat at holidays when she would go to visit her family Hmm. so to her this really is a splash of cold water in the face that this is sudden this is something that just happened. As far as she's concerned, the cat was still fairly young. Right. That That's a killer. And again, I just keep coming back to it. This episode hurts so much because you want to think better of these cast members, these characters. Mm-hmm. 
you want to think that in a moment that you might be hurting that someone like, you know, Coach or Norm or Sam would be there with sort of a shoulder and a kind word rather than sort of being callous and, oh, my God, are we still talking about this kind of attitude? Right. But, oh, God, yeah, this this episode murdered me. <laughs> um, a few other points before we kind of get back to the, the final scene between Sam and Diane in the office. Um Really quick, uh, Sam, when when he's contemplating fighting against the uh, Celtics, he asks Coach, when was the last time you had a shirt thing? And oh. Coach says, Rosie McGarnagall, um, yes. which is a great answer. But I love the bit of continuity because he actually mentioned that same woman back in episode 10. Uh, the the Red Sox pitcher Rick Walker comes in to, to ask Sam because he's in the middle of a slump. And Coach tells him, you know, back in my day, there were always lots of women hanging around like the clubhouse and everything. And and Rick Walker is like, yeah, they're still there. And he's like, really say hi to Rosie McGonagall for me or something oh. like that. So for now we know that there's this woman with this reputation. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, there's another uh, – there's a, a very unusual bit of transitional continuity in this episode because a lot of times like what Cheers will end up doing and it became kind of a staple was like after the commercial break, you know, either the beginning of Act 1 or the Act 2, they might have an exterior shot of something in Boston – Act two of this episode actually begins with one of the tertiary barfly guys, this guy named Jack, walking down the street and going down the stairs outside from the exterior location, and then it cuts to inside the bar and the set, and the door opens, and he comes in dressed the same, and he's like, hey, did the game start and everything like that? Oh, But it's wow. this weird thing. I don't think they've ever done that before or since. Where they had like the the cast member like start outside. Maybe in some of the later seasons they'll do that with like Frasier and Lilith outside walking in or something. I don't remember it, but um, yeah, that because had the to be exterior, something. the exterior of the bar is in Boston. Yeah, yeah, and so the, they had to have like filmed those completely separately. They and they must have like known that they were going to do something like this. But so they had to either fly that guy out there, or he flew out from there, right, to right. be in this episode to just have. Yeah two lines right but but i mean i mean he's a guy who's in a lot of the episodes of the show as just like kind of like a background bar guy like i mean he's had he's had lines before but it's kind of like is that the guy that you're gonna fly out to boston for this one shot like how much yeah it's so strange because most of the exterior shots of the cheers bar Mm -hmm. um i imagine that they probably just did a crap ton of b-roll that they've been pulling from you know different cars going by different people walking by sometimes a person walking down the stairs But there never really was a sense of this is a character who has a role in the episode or a line. So, I mean, I have to imagine that they're actually filming the bar set in Los Angeles. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm just, I, I that think, is real. Yeah, I oh, think wow. a, a show like this, and certainly what I know of, like other shows or something that might do like exterior things, like it might be a thing where the the crew goes to that other location twice a year, maybe once a year. Yeah, and just gets as much as they can uh, in advance, and like uh, certainly if they've got a few like scripts that require the actor, because certainly like in some of the later seasons, like in uh, like seasons like nine, ten, and eleven, they'll do a lot with the actors outside, usually in the teaser of the episode. So those yeah. like if they had a bunch of them scripted all at once, they would spend one week or two week out of the year filming all of those, and then mm-hmm. go back to L.A. and film the rest. Yeah, this is – it's just so weird. The more I think about it, the more expensive it seems yeah, yeah. to to just get this one guy who's not Ted Danson and, <laughs> yeah. you know, not George Wendt walking in and out of this yeah. bar. Uh, yeah, because normally that footage is just to let you know, hey, it's night now. Hey, right. it's daytime. Right. Hey, it's it's snowing outside. That exists solely for that purpose to let you know because that's the beauty of the bar being sort of underground is that you can actually kind of hide – what is happening outside and you only have just that one window near the stairs to let you know what the weather is or if it's light out and it gives you the ability to sort of film at any time and have it look very similar inside mm-hmm. so that's so weird that's gonna drive me crazy now. <laughs> um we get uh, we don't get a whole lot of norman cliff in this episode cliff hardly says anything he basically he comes in just once the game starts he's got an amazing hat Oh, that's amazing. Uh, he, he sits down and watches the game. Norm comes in 
Uh, he does. He delivers his like kind of like opening joke, and then he just talks about having where his wife Vera read this article where she wants him to be more courtly and like try to date her to kind of like spruce up the romance in their relationship. So he calls her up, like gets her flowers, and like asks her on a date, and she rejects him. And he's like, "Who yeah. is this?" Whatever. So that's kind of like that that thing. But other than that, and Norm, like his kind of reaction and just not being there for Diane, like there's not much for either of those guys in it. Which then comes back to once, once like for like the second time, she's kind of screwing up her orders, and Sam has to take her back in the office, and she does, you know, explain to him like how she tells him this story, and he starts to cry. She starts to cry with him, and they almost come together, and it's funny with a show like this because you think of how much this is like a will they, won't they romance type thing, and and so much of this first season is about Sam and Diane and their flirtations and their fighting the sort of love and hate, how much they make fun of each other, how much they flirt with each other. But this is like the first time when their emotions have really come together, come to the fore since maybe like episode four, when he tried to kiss her in the pool room and she flipped him over his, over like oh. her shoulder onto the table or episode six, when they were, she actually tried to take a swing at him and they kind of fell out, fell onto the couch in a tangle of like almost like fighting, but it was mistaken for passion. This is them really kind of like coming together for the first time in a while where they're mm-hmm. like almost going to like kiss and, and have something. So it's kind of funny that it's taken this long for something that seems like it was always there. Yeah, it's always there, but it's kind of amazing how restrained the show has been to this point mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think nowadays they would make that the a plot of practically every episode and just find a different context to put it in. But I think they allow it to sort of be there. The flirtation, the banter has always been there. Um, And occasionally it sort of flares into real emotion, usually anger between the two of them. And this is the first time that they're both hurting at the same time. And what I, I think is interesting is I think Diane's read of him is probably correct when she says that he's unable to, Uh, emotionally relate to women aside from sexually. And I don't necessarily, I don't think that means he's like a predator. I I kind of read that is that Sam just doesn't know how Mm -hmm. because he's never had to, like he doesn't really know how to console somebody without it, you know, falling into bed afterwards. Right. Because it's the, it's a way of being vulnerable with another person and letting them be vulnerable. And there's really only, because his relationships are not especially serious. And I think everyone going into those relationships knows that they're not doing something serious. They're just having fun. And that's that's the way Sam sort of always is. There's a, a lack of vulnerability because that's him outside of his comfort zone. He really doesn't know what to do in these scenarios. Mm-hmm. And aside from that initial hug, that's the end of his script. He really doesn't <laughs> yeah. know where to go from here. And all he has is his usual behavior underneath that to try to make somebody feel better. And it just happens to be self-serving, too, at the same time. And I think she's right about that. I don't think he's ever tried to break that that pattern of behavior with him before. Not because he's a he's a bad person. He really isn't. And this is actually a, just a rare instance of him not being able to read people because even though Sam is clearly not book smart, I think he's actually really astute about people. Yeah. Especially in the first season. And like he really reads people really well. And this just seems to be an episode where just kind of by narrative necessity, he just doesn't get it until the very end. Yeah, yeah, to the point of, like, I mean, she she has to challenge him. She has to ask him these questions that he's never been asked before and is completely unprepared to ask. She's like, what yeah. are we doing? He's like, we're sharing our grief. And she's yeah. like, this isn't what grief feels like. And he's like, well, it's a funny thing. And he's trying to, like, pl- pass it off and, like, just continue with the, the passion of the moment. And she's like, no, no, what is this? Um, and, of course, he is so taken out of his element that he gets frustrated and angry and that starts like when one second they're about to kiss the next second they're yelling at each other and that makes her feel again more alone more isolated that she thought he might actually open up and be a comfort to her but he's not equipped to do that either not like no more so than than coach or or norm or carla he's just he's not capable of that and that's why she's like i'm getting the hell out of here like that that's the point where this episode had to go like that was that's where her emotional arc had to go in this episode she had to quit and say i don't belong here i'm leaving and he's like good get out or whatever and then as she's out the door when he says stop i'm sorry about your cat (laughs) 
And, and he says it it's still in the tone of arguing. Yeah, yeah. But he's, uh, it's like he still says it that way, but you know he means it. And again, this is him stepping out of his comfort zone. This is him really meaning it. Right. And, and I think what he's saying is, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I let you down. I don't want you to leave, but I don't mm-hmm. want to say that. So all I can say is, I'm sorry about your cat. That's like that's the best he can do. And, and when she, she turns around, <laughs> yeah. oh God, it's like stabbed in the heart. I just, oh my God, yeah. That that is that is the Shelley Long moment, and it's so seamless. Mm-hmm. It would have been so easy. Turns around, and her face is just. I mean, she's angry and defiant, and like, screw this, I'm gone, and I'm totally on her side. And that moment of genuine, I'm sorry. And it just melts, and you see her face, and she just looks like she's going to fall apart. And it, oh god, I want to hug her. Jen. Right, right. It's right. but yeah, it's 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 that, and she just knocks it out of the park in that moment. And they start to kind of hug, and it's like no, no, offered yeah. tomorrow. It's <laughs> like in that see tomorrow. It's sort of like we undid the quitting. Right, right, right. That we're going to call it – we just know this is a bad idea to go any further. We're just going to practically shake hands and walk away. And and taking it back to – I mean you pointed out how the teaser is sort of a microcosm of the story. Like taking it back, like they almost fall into the exact same trap where they would have gone into that cycle. They would have hugged. They would have cried together. And then he would have tried to kiss her. They would have started the whole thing over again. But they recognize that right in time. And and like kind of like okay back off I'm going I'm taking the rest of the day off and it's just like everyone realizes this is a good idea to just stop yeah I really love it that's the only way you could have ended this episode without her storming out of the show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I oh my god that it's it everyone is just kind of nailing it, especially Shelley Long oh my god yeah well <laughs> I, I think we're uh, we're jumping ahead already to our employee of the week. I, I had maybe as a distant runner up, I would have had Cliff's hat. Uh, yes. as the best part of this. Oh, he's like a Soviet commissar. <laughs> it's it is amazing. It is. It's like one of those like it's like that you you push up like the side the side flaps and everything, and the way he's wearing it, it's just so good. Oh um, God! It's so like he's gonna give a Mussolini speech. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I want that ad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean this this episode. I mean everybody has their funny moments. Everybody has like moments like sincere and and sweet moments. But this is Shelley Long's episode, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From from start to finish, it's yeah, it's it's amazing. She does what she does, and I I assuming we're in agreement on that. Oh God, yeah. it, from the episode beginning to end, yeah, that she is funny. She is tragic. Mm-hmm. That And none of these things contradict each other or ruin the tone or make it feel uneven, that she makes all of this work. Yeah. And she doesn't – because it would be so easy for another actress to ruin it and turn the audience against her and make it where she's somebody who is being too silly and it ruins the impact of this grief. But also to be so serious where it's sort of like I kind of wanted to laugh at an episode of Cheers and I didn't get – you still get that? That she's remarkably funny, that she's – she just – she nails the drama of it. And all of it is consistent with the Diane character. Yeah. Um, especially the, the two big moments. One, her speech where you can hear her voice breaking under her usual sort of like school – the again, the teacher's pet voice. Where she's just kind of lecturing the rest of the students, but underneath it, you see you just hear her heart breaking, mm-hmm. and then her turnaround at the end, where she just kind of falls apart briefly, mm-hmm. is just heartbreaking. I actually forgot it's right before she gets the phone call where she finds out that the cat died. Sam answers the phone and is talking to her mom. We just get the first yes. part of it. And I forgot how funny that was. The exchange. He's like, "Hi, I'm I'm Diane's boss, Sam Malone. Oh, you've heard of me? Yeah, yeah." No, I'm not scratching myself at the moment. Yeah. Oh, I love that when he gives her the phone, Diane, on the brain <laughs> note, you definitely weren't adopted. Yeah, take it from yeah. Oh, um, that was that was pretty great. Uh but right before we get to the home run, because I forgot to do this one, I did mention that we don't get a whole lot of Norm in this episode. Actually for Norm's tab, I think he only had two beers this episode. Yeah, um, just the, because of his limited of, screen time. Because he gets one when he first walks in, and then he's demanding a refill. Yeah. That was a quick beer drink, I've got to say, for Norm. He usually right. nurses these things a little bit. Right. But, man, that was a quick turnaround. Uh, so I, I give that as a 73 beers for the series so far. Oh, that's yeah. a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, home run, your 
funniest. I mean, for this one, I would I would accept a couple of different things. It could be the funniest gag. It could just be the best moment, the most uplifting, or however you want. But uh, what did you think was the best part of the episode? Oh, it's it's actually there's a moment where Diane is sort of lost in her grief, and she accidentally serves this guy too many beers. Yes. Um, she gives him like five beers, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, ma'am, I'm sorry." Um, I'm all alone. I don't need all these beers. And she goes, and she says, Oh, weren't you with somebody, a bunch of people last night? Yeah, but they're not here now. And she launches into this speech about how eventually you will lose everything and everyone will go away. <laughs> and basically that death is, death is inevitable. That that's sort of like, Oh, and he, she goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I'll take those away. She starts to take the beers. And he goes, no, no. Suddenly I'm in the mood for all of them. <laughs> yeah. just, I good. love that one. And that is so good. Yeah. <laughs> It works. I mean, this it's it's an example just of a great thing, and it's also a great line being given to an extra. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah. And I actually I didn't even mention him as a guest. Like, I I didn't write down who that actor was because I looked him up and I didn't recognize the name or what else he'd been in. So I wonder if he was almost like a a producer or a crew person or something that they just threw in for that moment or something. But but he nails that line delivery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing is that in the end, you can give somebody the best line and they can still drop it. But this guy gets it. Yeah. And he makes that scene. He's able to go toe-to-toe in a scene with Shelley Long. And I think that's something we, we come back a lot on this as I'm sort of looking at these episodes again as you're doing this podcast is that I don't think I ever gave Shelley Long the credit she deserves for – basically being the MVP of this show at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's not like she's in a show where, you know, she's the best thing among people who are pretty good. Everyone is great on this show. I mean, everyone just feels so natural in their characters. And for her to be the best out of that lineup is really impressive. And that I like Shelley Long and the character of Diane more the more I'm watching these episodes. And, just nails it. And part of it is like one of those things where as you get older, you relate to different characters and different experiences. And I think sometimes just the frustration of being around dumb people can sometimes wear on you. And I think sometimes exactly. we, we, we might it's, relate to, to Diane, ironically, as adults a little bit more than we do yeah. as younger kids. So. Exactly. And I think this has been that weird point in my life where there's sort of the character that's seen as the wet blanket by the characters who are able and allowed by mm -hmm. the plot to be a bit more childish and crazy. Like, as a kid, you kind of love Tigger, but as an adult, I really feel bad for Rabbit all the time. <laughs> I mean, it just eat him out of house and home. This guy gets stuck in my door. I just want to have nice things. <laughs> I think I hit that point rewatching Lethal Weapon the other day where – it just hit me how much I am way more of a Murtaugh than a Riggs. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, come on, man, just let him have his house. I mean, I'm having those moments, and I'm having these moments with Diane as well because, you know, everyone kind of wants to be the fun character. We all want to be Sam Malone. We all we, – we can settle for being Norm because Norm is sort of funny and unencumbered by – these sorts of rules and the desire to be the adult in the room that he just kind of goes, I'm the adult at work. I get to be a child when I'm here. Or we want to be but, able to get away with saying the things that Carla says. Oh God, that job security <laughs> is still, I strive for that. But you want that kind of, you want to be the character that's allowed to kind of go big where Diane is sort of the character who has to play against all of that and find ways to be funny while reacting to the crazy things around her. Mm-hmm and occasionally allowed to be the crazy thing herself. But I I relate to more and more to her uh, on this rewatch. I mean, she really is great that she finds ways to be Diane, even in those moments. Like we said, everyone yells Norman. She says Norman like a second later. Um, you see her reacting in ways that are very Diane, even if she's not the focus of, of the moment. And God, Shelley Long is great. And... Yeah. I think she's wonderful, and I wonder if this show ever would have succeeded as much as it did without her as a part of it. I, I can't imagine. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, and she, yeah, I, 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 I highly doubt it. And she was rewarded for the first season, so you know, it, it definitely, it definitely shows. Um, my my favorite moments for this episode. So I, I like the one that you picked, but I also had to. Um, this one was always my runner up. It's Coach's story about his his grandfather's dog. When he's oh. talking to Diane. He's like, he's like, I, he's like, I never had a dog, but my grandfather had a dog that I loved very much. And she's and Diane says, "What did you call him?" And he says, "Grandpa." 
And she's like, no, no, the dog. He's like, oh, Bruno. And he's, and she's like, what happened? And he's like, oh, the poor guy. He, you know, he fell down in he the fell bathtub down in the bath and died. Yeah. And Diane's like, no, no, no. I meant the dog. He's like, I, yeah, that's the dog. My father or my grandfather, God rest his soul. He, poor guy got hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I love it. So there's a my, lot of great. <clears throat> that was my runner, but. For me, I think the best line was actually it's, and I mentioned it before. It's buried in the middle of her monologue when she's talking about the accommodations that she's made for these guys. She's like, she's like, I have tried to change myself to be more like. She's like, for instance, I no yes. longer have to cover my eyes when I watch a hockey fight. And she says, at one point, I even took sides. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the way that. she delivers it too, where it's, she, there's still tears under that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Oh, she's like, don't you understand how far I've come for you guys? Like from yeah. where I was in the first episode when I couldn't pick the sweatiest movie, like to, yeah. to now get, getting to the point where I'm actually rooting for somebody in a hockey fight. I do that yeah. for you guys, and you're not there for me. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. This was. Um, it's funny. This is never one of those episodes that I think of as a standout. Like even like when I look at how great the first season is. I tend to forget about this episode, but watching it again, I'm like, this is so good. Like, on, and oh, on every God. level, from a comedic level, yeah, but certainly from, like, that emotional level. Um, I, I think of, like, like with, with Endless Slumper, which was the 10th episode, which was about Sam's alcoholism and how that came. Like, that's a great episode that you don't necessarily think of as a really funny episode, but it's more about Ted Danson's performance and, and the end of that episode. And this one, I think, is kind of like the counterbalance to that one, where it's, or, or like the, it's, it's the same type of thing, but for Shelley Long. It's not yeah. the funniest episode, although it's got some really funny moments. But it's more about like the emotional story and the emotional journey that the character goes on and and where she is by the end of this episode. So, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It shows that this show could have that dimension to it. Mm-hmm. That there are a lot of sitcoms that really are just gag, 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 and this shows that both the characters are well written enough, the episodes are well written enough, and the actors can shoulder this kind of dramatic weight and make it work while not giving up the the comedic elements. I mean, this just shows how strong of a show Cheers is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Mike, thank you very much for coming back and talking about this uh, special episode with me. Uh, Where can our listeners find you online and in the podcastosphere? Oh, uh, primarily I'm on Radio vs. the Martians, which is sort of a pop culture discussion podcast with my podcast tag team partner, Casey Doran. Uh, We cover all sorts of stuff, uh, everything from Watchmen to uh, Hayao Miyazaki. We also have a spinoff show called Podcast de la Vista Baby, which is a love letter to the films of statesman and thespian Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, we just did that episode I mentioned earlier on Total Recall. Um, we're going to keep plowing forward. You can find that on RadioVersusTheMartians.com, PodcastDeLaVistaBaby.com, plus iTunes, Stitcher, and all the regular podcast places. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. As always, you know you can support the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Please leave us an iTunes review if you get the chance. And until next time, we are closed. When I was 12 years old, my parents separated. It was maybe the worst night of my life. Believe it or not, I actually thought about throwing myself in the lake. But then I looked down at this cat in my lap and I thought, well, who would take care of Elizabeth? She saved my life that night. And I know it's crazy and it's irrational, but, oh, Sam, I can't help thinking that last night when her time came, she must have wondered where I was. Sam, you're crying. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. Your, your eyes are all red and your nose is running. I'm allergic to cat story. <laughs> <laughs>